Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Out of the Blue. It is just after 11.30 on Sunday morning. Hopefully people are actually awake. I know I'd probably prefer to be asleep, but that's fine. We're all here. We're going to enjoy ourselves. And today we're going to be talking about animal training and not just, you know, training your cat or your dog, although I think cats do most of the trainings to the people. Um, No, we're going to be talking about marine animals and talking about the best way that you can go about training them. Help 3CR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care and also others were... The recognition of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. So once again, welcome to Out of the Blue. You might be listening to us live. You might be listening online at 3cr.org. .au. You could be podcasting us as well. We put a lot of effort into those podcasts, so it'd be really nice to have people listening to them. Now, today I've been joined by Bree. Bree, welcome to Thanks our for having cute me. little studio here <laughs> on a Sunday morning. Um, now, tell us a little bit about yourself. You have done some pretty crazy stuff. Let's let's take it all the way back to the start. When did you decide you liked animals? Uh, probably when I was a toddler. <laughs> okay, beautiful. Was there any particular moment there? Uh, I just love going around like the rock pools down at Janjak or Torquay where my grandparents lived. So that was basically the start of my marine um, you career. Know. Yeah. Getting yourself into yep. trouble in the rock pools yeah, as a toddler. Great. Much. <laughs> Your parents must have been getting on their toes. Yeah. Okay. So after toddler, you obviously went on to study something. 
as you were older, not as a toddler. Yeah. But, so, so what's your background? Uh, so basically I finished high school, went to uni, studied a conservation biology and ecology degree. Oh, that's a mouthful. It's a bit, Yeah, basically biology. But um, yeah, finished that and then realised I needed some work experience. So hit up the aquarium and got some experience there and that basically started my career. Nice. So what species have you worked with so far in your career? Mostly sharks and stingrays. They okay. definitely be my favourite. Yeah, we like that. Aaron, who can't be with us today, he's, I don't even know what he's doing today, but he couldn't be in the studio. <laughs> um, he's always going on about sharks, as am I. So we love to have some shark specialists on yeah. here to tell us all about them. So you've also got a bit of a, a background in training. So how did that start? Yeah, so basically working with animals, you really need to know, um, need to be able to control them in a way that I guess aids you looking after them but also keeps them out of trouble you know they don't you don't want them to harm themselves or anything like that so training will really help you in that regard yeah definitely because I know I mean I trained my dog and as I said I think my cat has definitely trained me (laughs) I haven't done any training with her yeah I even understand all her different meows now which is disturbing (laughs) um but Surely it's a, a lot more difficult. I mean, my dog can hear me say sit. If you say, well, you wouldn't say sit to a shark, but if you say, you know, swim past to a shark, it, it can't hear you. So how do you even begin to consider training these animals? Yeah, so obviously talking doesn't work. No. It doesn't stop me from talking to them, but it won't work as a training That's tra- right. As a Nobody will call thing. you crazy. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you've got to use uh, other cues. So sound um, sound ringers that go in the water. Um, so something that the sound can actually travel through the water. Um, you can also use lights. So I do use flashing uh, torch lights as well. So something that they can see or they can perceive, mm-hmm. um, they will be able to react to it. Okay. Yeah. So how is it that you teach the animal first off that that noise is good and not that noise is terrible and I'm going to swim away as fast as I can? Yeah, it's a bit of a a bit of a tough situation because obviously, you know, something new can frighten them, which is the opposite of what you want to do. Yeah. So you need to be able to pair that with a, a reinforcing um, element, so something that they like. So that's where you've got to work out what motivates them and most of the time with the animals that I work with it's food okay um for a cat or a dog you could use toys so it doesn't always have to be food but food is a very big motivator for sharks and rays so if you pair your um your stimulus so like your light or your or the sound cue or whatever you want to use pair that with a feeding event and over time they'll associate that those two events are related so as soon as they hear that sound, they're going to know that food's coming. That something positive's happening. They're yeah. not going to be punished yes. or, or something yeah. scary is going to come into the water and attack yeah. them. Yeah. Okay. So if you had an animal, let's go with stingray. Have you have you trained a stingray before? I have. Yeah. We've trained stingrays. Okay. So talk me through. How do you even decide that you want to train a stingray? And then what is it that you're training them to do? Like I imagine they're not jumping out of the water and doing flips like a dolphin. No. <laughs> so we, I haven't trained to, uh, I guess, make them do tricks. It's not really what we're about. Um, but we do train them to make sure that they, we want them to come to us. Okay. So that's a really big one. So if you want to, um, you know, examine an animal or even just feed them, target them with vitamins or medication or anything like that, if you can get them to come to you without you going to them, that's going to be so much more or less invasive, you know, less stressful for the animal. So it's all good situation if they can come to you. 
Because I imagine after the Steve Irwin incident, most people want stingrays <laughs> going in the complete opposite direction to themselves. Yeah. Okay, so how how do you start with a ray then? You said you use noise and lights and it yeah. sounds like an incredible little <laughs> mystery box of tricks you've got going there. So how, how do you start? So I started with this. I'd use the torchlight, flashing torchlight for the stingrays. Okay. Um, basically got them feeding um, by hand, which was quite normal for them. So that was no issue. Um, and I've had the flashing torchlight maybe two metres away from me. And it was in the distance, but wasn't necessarily related to the feed because it was so far away. Um, and over time, like, you know, talking one or two weeks sort of thing, every time I fed, I brought that light closer and closer. Okay. So eventually the light was right there where I was feeding and you do that for a little bit longer, probably another week or so. Um, and over time they learn that that torchlight means that there's food. So when you put the torchlight in, it starts flashing, they'll come over because they're expecting food to come. And the good thing about that is that you can then move the torchlight to wherever you want depending on where they are um, and you can make them go to different locations um, yeah, basically okay. to target them to feed. Okay, so I can understand why you'd want to do that, but God, there's, there's so many questions going on in my head right now. I can't even like sort them out. It's Sunday morning. Um, but can you, like, can all animals be trained? Like, I've seen some animals and they look. I know it sounds really horrible, but they look really stupid. <laughs> like, I think of Finding Dory and that bird Becky, and Becky just seemed. <laughs> Incredibly dumb. I mean, she got it in the end. She she helped she did, them, yeah. but for a while there, I was like, Becky, like you've really got to get your stuff together here, mate. Like, I don't know if you can be trained. So, is that, what capacity do animals have to be trained? Well, I I think that most things can be trained. Okay, I I haven't worked obviously with all species. Yep. Um, but I personally do believe if you do take the right steps and you take it really, really slow, and for some animals that might be, you know, like months and months of training to even get one single act out. Oh, Jesus, that sounds um, like a painful process. <laughs> it can be quite long, but other animals pick it up really, really quickly. So I think there is definitely variation. Um, but, yeah, I do definitely think that all animals can be trained. All right. Well, I might uh, have to see whether I can train my brother. I've always <laughs> thought that maybe I could do that, but what we What's might do is his main motivator. That's your that's your first step. Oh, beer. <laughs> I think beer would work for my brother. I just don't know what I want him to do. I'll have to think about it and see what I can come up with. Well, we might go to a quick song so I can see if I can come up with something to train my brother with. Um, uh, so, welcome back to Out of the Blue. Today we have Bree with us, and Bree's telling us all about training stingrays and sharks and animals that basically can't hear you because they're underwater. Yep, that's right. <laughs> so I know there's different types of training and things. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so basically uh, how you communicate with your animal is really important because you need to tell them what to do or they need to understand that. And if they don't, you're going to have some pretty big problems. So that's where classical conditioning and operant conditioning come into play. Okay, so I, I vaguely remember those terms from uni, but it's it's been a while. You're going to have to talk me through them okay. again. So basically ca classical conditioning is uh, telling an animal that this means that, that two events are related. So the, the biggest example is Pavlov's dog, if you remember there. I do remember Pavlov's you know, dog. The bell and the saliva. Yep. Yeah, that one. I so, remember <laughs> I remember that school actually because our teacher was like, 
you guys have the same response with the school bell. School bell goes and everyone yep. jumps. It's the same response. Yep. So basically that dog uh, in that example learnt that the ringing of the bell meant that food was going to come and the involuntary, um, I guess, response of the saliva um, occurred even without the food being there. So over time that dog learnt that the neutral stimulus of the bell became reinforcing. Yeah, okay, cool. So that's basically the same with the torchlight and the stingrays. The torchlight went in, they knew that the food that meant food. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So then we've got uh, operant conditioning. So this is an active involvement. So this is saying that when I do this, this happens. So there is an active involvement of the animal. So with the uh, case of the light and the stingrays, the active involvement bit is the fact that the animal has to actually swim to you to receive that food. Okay. Yeah, that so makes the sense. whole training process combines the two, combines the classical conditioning and the operant conditioning. So the first bit is the classical conditioning where they need to associate the light and food, and then the operant conditioning bit is the fact that they need to swim over to the light to get the food. Okay. So that's your way of communicating with the animal. Yeah. So that it knows, first off, the light is good. Yep. Secondly, it's only good if I go to it. Yes, that's right. If I don't go to the light. Yep. You don't get your reward. You don't get anything. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you've trained animals to come to you. What other things, I mean, if you had, the, you know, the world is your oyster. We're yep. a marine show. That's a beautiful yep. phrase to yep. use. <laughs> what, what is the ultimate thing you would love to train stingrays to do? Um, I would like to be able to get animals to swim into stretches. Um, oh, wow. So okay. a stretcher that you can lower into the water, you can get the animal to comfortably swim into it without, you know, freaking out. Mm-hmm. Um Because then if we ever have to do, you know, major moves in the future, you know, you want that to be as as stress-free as possible. Um, So, you know, that may involve stretches and large, you know, large transport tubs and things like that. So if you can get an animal to comfortably do that on their own, that's, you know, the best best situation possible. So if... If it can be done with stingrays, if you can train stingrays to come to you, do sharks operate the same way, obviously being cousins? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So ultimately, you'd love to be able to train a shark to swim into a stretcher. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow. So, where do you feel you're at now in that journey, and where? How long do you see that process taking? Uh, it would definitely take probably months and months, depending on the species. I've kind of got a bit of a um, bit of a head start with some leopard sharks. Okay. Um, they're a lot more docile creatures. They swim a lot slower. Um, they can also rest on the bottom, so that does help. They're not a, a continuously swimming shark. Okay, that does help, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that so that will help um, in the future. I think if I had to train a different species of shark, I would have to go around it a different way because each, you know, each animal has different um, requirements and, you know, they swim differently and have different swim patterns and speeds and all that sort of stuff. So pretty much each, you know, you'd have to go with a case-by-case basis. So before you even consider training animal, you've got to just learn everything about it, what motivates it, how it moves, why it moves. Yeah. So if you want your animal to do something, you need to work out what motivates them the the most. Um, And that's that's really your first step. Um, Training the stingrays, you know, you really need to know your animal, um, particularly like their usual habits. So which direction do they usually swim or, you know, when they get to the corner, what do they do? And that can help you. in your training. So basically, I knew that the 
that the stingrays didn't like corners. Okay. Um, they tried to avoid them at all costs. So um, I knew that that was going to be my test area. So if I could put the torchlight in the corner, an area that I knew that they didn't like, but if I put the torchlight there and they came over to it, I knew that they had really associated that torchlight oh, with of the course, corner. Because they're then going into a situation that they wouldn't normally yeah. want to put themselves yep. in. So if they're wanting yeah. the food so badly that they're willing to overcome their fear of the corner, yeah. then you know that you've you've done it right. So in that case, if if you're using food, I guess, as as your reward. Yeah. Does your animal need to have a degree of hunger? I mean, obviously yeah. an animal probably won't do something if it's full. Yeah, so I guess the stingrays that I was working on, I was lucky in the sense that they eat a lot of food. They require a lot of food. They're okay. really high metabolism animal. Um, so I had a lot of training opportunities with those guys. Um, sharks are a little bit different. They require less food. Um, so, and they, sharks also need certain size food. So some animals, you can cut the food pieces down to kind of increase your training events. Ah, um, like what I do with my dog. I yeah, break up the yeah. little treats into really, really ridiculously yep. small pieces, but she's a Labrador. She'll yep. work for anything. She'll eat like a thousand pellets in a minute. Whereas <laughs> a shark would probably only eat maybe one or two fish of, you know, the right size. If you cut that down, they're not going to want to eat it. Okay. Um, so that kind of can really limit your training opportunities. So, yeah, that really, because I mean, I remember when we got our dog and they're like, okay, you want to be doing this many training sessions and you want to yep. do this and that. And you're like, okay, cool. I'm all over this. Yeah. <laughs> but if you've got stingrays, I mean, how many, when you were introducing that line, how many, how many times a day were you doing that to them? Uh, I was trying to do it at least like three to four a day. Okay. Um, between all of them, they needed three kilos of food, so it was a lot. So I did. I was lucky in the sense that I had that to play with. Um, but yeah, other sharks that might only eat three kilos of food a week. Ooh, um, yeah, that limits it. Yeah, really limits what you can do. So hence why it can take months and months. <laughs> yeah. So did you start by doing it at the same time each day? Like, is is that important in the beginning as well? Yeah. Or? So timing can be quite handy. Um, they can, they can tell the time. Okay. Yeah, they can. <laughs> right. No, no, I, I believe you. I just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, timing can actually, yeah, help because it kind of gives them, I guess the, the same amount of time in between feeds so that they are at the same point of their, I get you know, whether they're hungry or not. Um, but yeah, for, through each day, if they are getting fed at roughly the same time, they can kind of predict it a little bit before it actually happens. Okay. So it can, can go in your favour. Okay, nice, nice. We might go to a quick announcement and then we'll talk a little bit more plastic because it, it's yep. Plastic Free July. Yep. So plastic, animals in the ocean, it all ties in. I'm sure <laughs> you've seen some pretty horrific stuff. I know I have. Yep. Uh, but we'll have a quick announcement and we'll come back to Bree talking about all her sharks and stingrays. Indigenous people in Australia and the Pacific have borne the brunt of nuclear testing. And this was not done unconsciously. We found documents in the British archives saying that, yes, there is uh, certain hazards, but only to primitive peoples, those that don't wear clothes and don't wash, unlike us British. So the sort of racism inherent in this whole operation was known and understood from the beginning that these were the casualties of a larger imperial policy and that they were able to bear the brunt because there were very small populations and didn't have much political voice. And as we fast forward to today, we see that same thing. 3CR, keeping you informed about Australia's nuclear past and present. At such a time, it's important to have a voice like 3CR. 
steady, constant, sane and committed to a nuclear-free Australia. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. We've been talking all things training to do with stingrays and sharks, but we are in the middle of July and it is plastic-free July. And I don't know about you, Brie, but I've seen a lot of plastic in the ocean. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you're obviously a scuba diver. I like yep. scuba dive. Favourite spot in Victoria? I know I'm putting you on Ooh, the spot. I quite like Blake Ari. Oh, I was only yeah. there the other week. 12-degree water, though. Yeah, it was it's, a little yeah, chilly. It's a bit cold at the moment, but yeah, I was still plenty to see. Scuba diving with a guy. It was his first dive in Melbourne, and I said that maybe <laughs> we could go a little warmer. He's like, no, I've got two wetsuits. It's okay. Two? And, yeah, two. He put on both. <laughs> wow. And um, I tell you what, we've been in the water... The overall dive time was 40 minutes, yep. but I swear the last 10 minutes was him swimming as quickly as possible <laughs> in the direction of the ladder. And he was just getting faster and faster. We were, we were no longer looking for animals at that point. We were Trying looking to warm for up. warmth. Um, and, yes, he reached the ladder and we surfaced. I'm like, James, it's the wrong ladder. You've got to swim to the next one. He's like, no. I'm like, I know, but it's the wrong one. You'll struggle to get out here. Um, but, yeah, plastic and things under the ocean is – is yeah, I'm seeing a lot of that. Yeah, and obviously there's been a lot of talk too with the rays at the moment with people indiscriminately killing them. Yeah, absolutely. Which has been absolutely horrific. It's so horrible to see. Yeah, we'll post some updates on our um on our Facebook page about that. But plastic free July. Some of the things I've been trying to avoid are straws. Yep. And I'm going really well now. I've got stainless steel straws. I've got my straw mm-hmm. cleaner. Have you seen that video of the turtle? I have. It's horrible. Yeah. And I know you've done a little bit of work with some turtles. Yeah. I've done some rehab with some uh, sick turtles that have washed up here in Melbourne. Yeah. Have they ever had any signs of entanglement or plastic and things? Um, we haven't actually, which is surprising. That's lucky. Um, yeah. Very lucky. Um, but a lot of the animals, a lot of sea turtles that wash up here are very sick. So they've got pneumonia and, and you know, infections and things. Things like that. I'm worried that the ones that do get entangled actually, I guess, get into more trouble further up. That they don't actually yeah. make it all the way down to Melbourne. Oh, of course, I hadn't even thought about that because it's impairing their entire journey yep, south. Pretty much. Yeah. So straws has been a big thing. Yep. Um, I don't drink coffee. I nope, love a neither. hot chocolate, so I've always got my keep cup. Well, not my keep cup, I've got a Frank Green cup because it doesn't leak. Oh, right. And I literally throw it in my bag with a hot chocolate in it and yeah. it doesn't leak. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, plastic bags, that's a no-brainer. I haven't yeah. been using plastic bags for so long now. And I've got some really good um, compostable ones now. Oh, yeah. Which are great. And I'll, uh, I'll post a link on the Facebook page for some of these things too. I've gone paper cotton buds. Okay. Yeah, which is That's which is a new one, one for me this year. Um, but yeah, there's some fantastic people out there doing the best they can with zero plastic and zero yeah. waste in general. Like some people can put their entire year's worth of waste in one plastic bag. Yeah. And I look at that and I go, "Wow!" Like I am. <laughs> it's pretty so far away from that. Yeah, but I mean, every little but good on them. Well, every mm. little step counts. It's not like they just one day went. You know what? No, not going to have any rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. So make sure for the rest of Plastic Free July, if you're not on board, even if you only do it for one day, like even if you just rethink one takeaway coffee cup. It all helps. It all helps. And we'll post some more links on Facebook about that too because every little bit counts. You can help the animals in the ocean without even having to go in the ocean. Yeah. You can do a beach cleanup. There is so much plastic washing up on our beaches and it's come from who knows where. But just go around with a bag and just pick up a few pieces. Obviously, do it carefully if there's glass, you know, be wary, wear gloves. But 
It doesn't take much. Every time I go to the beach, I try and pick up at least a couple of pieces. Yeah. And I'm always surprised lots of left shoes. Yeah. I don't know where the right shoe goes. Like maybe <laughs> the current takes it elsewhere and it has, you know, different dynamics. I don't know, but lots of lefts. It's interesting. really, really weird. They should probably do some research on that. I'm sure there's a PhD in that for somebody who can find <laughs> random funding methods. Well, Bree, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's been great learning about our stingrays and sharks and how they can be trained, and I'm definitely going to try and use some of those methods on my brothers. Um, That does bring us to the end of Out of the Blue for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. As always, feel free to listen online at 3cr.org.au. Also check us out on Facebook. Just search for Out of the Blue on 3CR. And you can also podcast too. So if you want to listen to us in the future... I'd highly recommend it. I'm fairly sure our Sex in the Sea shows are still available too. Erin and I were quite obsessed with those ones. I'd listen to them. They're great. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And up next is Sally with Out of the Pan. See you later.